Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 25. Ephesians 5 in verse 25 as we continue our series on the Spirit-filled heart and home. Ephesians 5 in verse 25. I appreciate this statement by John MacArthur on marriage. He said, God's way to a successful marriage focuses on what husbands and wives put into it, not on what they can get out of it. This corresponds with what I shared from D.C. McCaslin a week ago, if you remember, where he said, in every healthy marriage, it's the people who work at it, not the relationship. And so again, as I mentioned before, this comes down to the basics of both spouses gladly and wholeheartedly living out their roles the way God intended as a picture of Christ in his church. Just as we see here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Well, last week, the emphasis was upon the wives. Now we come to the husbands in verses 25 through 31. So I want you to follow along as I read that section of scripture. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And again, may God add his blessing to the reading of that portion of Scripture. What we just read is the second section of the household table that's flowing out of verses 18 to 21 and the filling of the Spirit. I stress that because that's the foundation to a Spirit-filled home. And just as Paul gave one instruction, one piece of instruction there in verse 22 to the wives, that is, be subject to your own husbands, He did the same with the husbands. He gave them one piece of instruction there in verse 25. And what is it? Love your wives. That's it. Love your wives. Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and be not embittered against them. Four times. Four times the apostle referenced love in the verses I just read. And so it is important. And even though all Christians are to love one another, just as we see back in chapter 5 in verse 2, it is the husband's responsibility to initiate it in his house. That's right. I say that because 1 John 4.10 says, herein is love. 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave himself to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, if love starts with God and husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, as God does, then they are going to be the one who initiate it in the home. Men, as you might be aware here, love in this passage of Scripture is agape love, which is more than just about feelings. That's included, but it's more of a commitment of the will, a choice that seeks the best for others. And this is only possible in Christ through salvation. That's right. Romans 5, 5. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of Christ is shed abroad our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So when we get saved, as I've said before, the Holy Spirit comes within, and he sheds abroad our hearts the love of Christ. And so if you're here this morning without Christ, that is, you're not a believer You cannot fulfill what God is commanding in this text because it is for Christian husbands. We're talking about an agape love that comes from God through salvation. If you have no salvation, you have no agape love. Now, you might have an affection for your spouse. I don't deny that. But you don't know Christ's love. And your love will always come up short without Christ. And so I trust that this will change for you even today. Could there be someone here, men, who don't know Christ as Savior? Oh, how I pray that today will be the day of your salvation, that you'll turn from your sin to Jesus and receive the Spirit of God who will shed abroad your heart the love of Christ so that you can be the man, the husband, the father that God wants you to be. On the other hand, I want to be of help to you husbands who do know Christ. And that is to grow and excel in Christ's love. Because Christ's love is infinite, right? You can't exhaust it. And if you know Christ in salvation, you can grow. You can excel in it. How do I know that? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and chapter 4. The Apostle Paul says these words. And he's speaking to the church there, okay? He says, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. And then in the very next chapter, chapter 4, verse 10, still speaking about love, he says, for indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Wow. So yes, if you're saved this morning, you do love one another. You love your spouse. And you might think that's enough. No, God wants you to keep on loving and growing and excelling. That's his will for you men. And so I want you to consider with me four key ways, four key ways in which this can be realized. We're going to just draw it right out of the text here. Four key ways. And I trust that the Spirit of God will help you to apply them to your heart. Now, we're only going to look at two this morning, all right? We'll look at the other two next week. But I think two will be plenty, all right? What I'm going to share with you today is enough, all right? Enough to think upon, to meditate upon, to pray about, and to put into practice this week. 
And then next week, I'll pick up the other two and add to it. All right? Well, the first way is right there in verse 25. Again, what does Paul say? He starts right off the bat. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. What do you notice there in that verse alone? It's simply this. Husbands are to love their wives in a sacrificial way. That's right. Husbands, you are to love your wives in a sacrificial way. As it says here, as Christ loved the church and what? And gave himself up for her. That's sacrificial. This is the essence of agape love. It's a giving away of oneself for the highest good of others. And that is unconditionally and permanently. I want to stress that. It's unconditional and it's permanent. To get a sense of that, I want you to see it from Scripture. Turn with me, holding your space here, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. It says these words, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the saints. No, it's the ungodly. (laughs) I was hoping you'd pick up on that. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. Unconditional. Turn with me over to Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verses 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And so Christ loved us by dying for us when we were unlovely. And he committed himself to us forever, no matter what. I can't help but think of that Hebrew word in the Old Testament, kesed. It's speaking there about a loyal love. No matter what. Christ loves us. God loved his people. That doesn't change. It's unconditional. And that's the kind of love to which we are called as husband. It sort of reminds me of that hymn by Charles Wesley, And Can It Be? Part of the lyrics, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, yeah, shouldst die for me? 
That's the kind of love to which God is calling us as Christian husbands. And you might be thinking, wow, that's, that's pretty strong. Yeah, it is, but God would not give us this instruction if it was not possible. Okay, he gave it to us because it is possible. In Christ, through salvation, it is. He's already shed abroad your heart the love of Christ. Praise be to him. And you can grow in it. So don't be defeated this morning. Be encouraged that you know Christ who makes this possible. And so men, how about you this morning? Are you willing to give yourself away to your wife no matter what? Even if she is not a Christian and treats you poorly. Think about that. Maybe she is a believer, but is not walking with the Lord as she should and is obstinate to your leadership. Does that change anything? Well, if she treats me this way, then I will treat her this way. That's not God's love. God's love is unconditional and it's permanent. No matter what. You have to answer to the Lord first and foremost. You're not answering to your wife. You're answering to the Lord who has called you to this very thing. Are you willing to set aside your personal desires for her needs and desires? Philippians 2, right? 3 and 4. Thinking of one another is more important than yourself. Is your wife more important to you than... Dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank, whatever it may be. Whatever you cherish, men, in your heart. Is your wife more important than that? It's a good question. Good questions to examine our hearts with this morning. You see, this whole matter of loving your wife sacrificially is so far-reaching. I mean, it's even unto death. That's what the scriptures say here. Because that's what Christ did for us. I want you to look with me, if you would, at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8, which captures some of what I've already said, all right? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, holding your space here in Ephesians. 1 Corinthians 13. You, of course, want to understand 1 Corinthians 13 in its context. It comes in the context of chapters 12 through 14, where Paul there is talking about one's giftedness in the church. Okay? And we are to use the gifts he's given us to serve one another in the church body. Why? Because of his love, which is upon our hearts. And he describes a little bit what this love looks like in 1 Corinthians 13, chapter verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Wow. Pretty pointed, isn't it? Verse 5. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. How often do we do that? Huh? Mm. Verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Yeah, you think the best of your spouse. Very pointed. I, I, I love this text of Scripture. In fact, there's a book out there entitled Maximum Impact by Wayne Mack on just those four or five verses. That's it. He takes every one of those phrases, not only explains it, but then he applies it. 
Uh, I know that because we uh, went through it in our XYZ Bible study, Maximum Impact by Wayne Mack. And we spent about a year and a half just working through 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. It was really good. So if you want to grow in this matter, which we are supposed to, a helpful resource is Maximum Impact by Wayne Mack. Martin Lloyd-Jones, you've heard of him, the great preacher, in his commentary, so accurately said, the real cause of failure ultimately in marriage is always self. It's self. Because it's so inward when true love is about others. And so husbands, as you go home today, begin thinking as to how you can set aside yourself for the sake of your wife and by God's grace put into practice for his glory. You might say, well, if I go home and do this, that, she might be pretty happy about that. Yeah, she might. And then again, she may not even notice it. Remember, you don't do it for your wife. Exactly, right? Yeah. If you're looking to find praise from your wife for doing what God has called you to, she's going to fail you at times, just as you fail her. You cannot find contentment in your spouse. All right? We find contentment only in whom? God. Because he never fails us. All right? So do this for the glory of God. That should be the driving force. (laughs) That should be your motive. I'm doing this because my God gave himself for me and I'm to love her back for his glory, whether she sees it or not. Well, what I just discussed here is sort of the heart behind everything. All right? Yeah, it's the heart behind everything. So when we talk about loving our wives in a sacrificial way, that really starts right there in the heart. Now let's get more to the specifics and another way of loving your wife. And we see this as Paul proceeds there in verses 26 and 27. Again, we just draw it right out of the text. What does he go on to say? So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. What's being emphasized in those verses? You see it. Husbands, you are to love your wives in a purifying way. Yes. Husbands, love your wives in a purifying way. That's what's being stressed there in verses 26 and 27. Here the Apostle Paul was sharing the purpose for which Christ gave himself up for the church. Verses 26 and 27 flow out of verse 25. It's three purpose clauses in a row. And if you have a pen, men, you might want to underline this in the text. There are three henna clauses flowing out of verse 25. So that, there you go, there's one, he might sanctify her. Verse 27, the first part, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. And then at the end of verse 27, that she would be holy and blameless. So that, that, 
that. <laughs> Three purpose clauses right in the row that flow out of verse 25, giving us the purpose for which Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. You see, on one hand, there is an immediate purpose here. And that is to set a people apart for himself by freeing them from their sin and guilt through the preaching of the gospel. You see that there in verse 26. So that he might sanctify her. That is, set her apart unto himself. How? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Through the preaching of the gospel. That one comes to know Christ. They become a part of his church. He's speaking here about positional sanctification. All right? There are three aspects to sanctification. There's a positional, there's a progressive, and there's a perfected. Verse 26, he's talking about a positional sanctification. I want you to see this even more clearly. Holding your space here, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You have to remember, Paul is speaking this to a church that wasn't following him the way they should. They were a carnal people. He says that in chapter 3. They were fleshly. But I want you to know what he says to this church. 1 Corinthians 1 in verse 2. He starts off the book this way. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified, set apart in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. He's talking about a positional sanctification that comes through the gospel. All right? Turn with me over to chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. I love these verses. This is what he says to this body of people. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning with verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, if you stop there, you go, ooh. Then notice what he says as an encouragement in verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. So again, he's speaking about a positional sanctification. And that is exactly what he's talking about there in Ephesians 5 and verse 26. A positional sanctification. When the preaching of the gospel takes place, you embrace that. You are declared righteous. And you're set apart unto God for his glory. We see that in verse 26. On the other hand, there is an ultimate purpose here as well. And that is for Christ to present to himself a bride that is glorious in purity at his coming. That is without spot or wrinkle, blemish or decay, and instead be holy and blameless. That is consecrated and faultless. He's describing here the church complete in its sanctification. He's talking here about a perfected sanctification. When you are glorified, when Christ comes, that is what he's talking about there in verse 27. And of course, the church, the bride of Christ, 
has yet to realize this fully, but God's plan is complete. It will be completed. He'll complete what he starts. And that's why now we're in a what? Progressive sanctification. Yeah. I love Philippians 1.6. He who hath begun a good work in you, positional sanctification, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. A progressive sanctification and a perfected sanctification. God wants to present the church glorious in beauty, faultless, blameless. Ephesians chapter 1. Notice what it says there. Verses 3 and 4, as he starts out this epistle. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The very first one, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Why? What's the purpose? That He would be holy and blameless before Him. That's God's purpose. In fact, turn with me, if you would, over to First John. 1 John chapter 3 says the same thing, just a little bit differently. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. And so, husbands, since this is Christ's purpose for his church for whom he died, you should love your wives and cooperate with God in helping them to be all that he intended, preparing them for that day. Yeah. And so, practically speaking... How is this to be done? That's a good question. How is this to be done? And I'm just going to give you a few things. I'm going to suggest a few things. Some of these things I've mentioned before. You may even have a few things that the Spirit of God is working upon your heart right now. Great. Fantastic. But I'm just going to suggest like about seven things here just to help you along in purifying your wife, loving her by purifying her. And this is a Christian man to a Christian wife. Number one, and it has to start here, be discipling your own heart so that you know better how to disciple your wife's heart. Yeah. Be discipling your own heart so that you're in a position to disciple your wife's heart. I tell you, how can you disciple her heart if you're not discipling your own? You're not in the Word of God on a regular basis, feeding your soul, growing in your passion and thirst for God. Because when that is happening, it just flows out (laughs) to your one flesh relationship. Yes, it certainly does. So it begins with that, starting with your own heart. Number two, communicate with your wife about her sinful weaknesses in a gracious, compassionate, and helpful way. Yes, that is your responsibility. Communicate with your wife about her sinful weaknesses in a gracious, compassionate, and helpful way. But remember what Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the golden rule, right? Because 
your spouse, your wife knows you men better than anybody else, God holds you accountable to confront your husband. If there is a pattern of sin, you respectfully confront him about that. Now, you don't want to nag him because only God can change him, but still it's your responsibility to let him know and that you're going to pray for him because you love him and care for him. It goes both ways, right? Yes. Number three, pray for your wife. Yeah. Pray for your wife. In fact, I think a good prayer that you could pray on her behalf would be Colossians 1, 9 to 11. Yeah, I'm just going to turn over a couple of pages here to Colossians 1, 9 to 11. Paul has some wonderful prayers. These are Pauline prayers in, in, the, in the epistles, the prison epistles. And this is one of them. Colossians 1, 9 to 11. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Memorize those verses. That's not hard. Memorize those verses and then pray them out to the Lord on your wife's behalf. Yeah, pray for her. Number four. Encourage your wife in her spiritual disciplines. God in His Word has given us grace disciplines. That is the Word, prayer, confession of sin. They're all there in Scripture. It's God's means of grace to grow each one of us. And so encourage her in her spiritual disciplines. Number five. Fellowship together in the Word and about the things of God. Yeah. Fellowship together in the Word and about the things of God. So if you're in the Word (laughs) on a regular basis, yeah, then you're in a position to fellowship with her. And if she's in the Word, she's in a position to fellowship with you. You have something in common. That's the Word. All right? And you're able to be an encouragement and a blessing to one another. In fact, I told you here a while back that I had gotten this resource at the end of November. This was when Paul Taujus was here. He has that devotional remade. Okay, it's 90 devotionals. Okay, they're not very long. They're about two pages long. And in it, he talks about your position in Christ, your sanctification in Christ. He goes on and talks about suffering in Christ. God's perspective. And it's better than the daily bread, let me tell you that. You've got a pastor who's speaking from his heart to his congregation. I can just hear him preaching this. He's also a biblical counselor. It's like he's ministering to heart, bringing the word of God to bear upon their hearts and minds to help them grow in the Lord. And so I, in the first month that I was reading this, I was so enriched by it that I went and bought my wife one for Christmas. And then she started reading it, and about a week later she says, Oh, Honey, thank you so much for that book. This was so good. (laughs) Yeah, and so now we have something to talk about on a regular basis. This is something so simple. It's not difficult. You don't have to necessarily be reading it at the same time, although you can. But sit down and talk about who you are in Christ and what your marriage should look like in Christ. Wow, 
Number six, serve together for the glory of God. Serve together for the glory of God. Yeah. Encourage your inner giftedness. God has gifted her just like he's gifted you. All right? So God has a plan for her in the church, and that is to use her giftedness in ministering to others. You know her, right? You know her giftedness. Encourage her in that way. Just as she encourages you. Do it together. And then number seven. Protect her from the world as much as possible. Protect her from the world as much as possible. Can't help but think of that passage in 1 John. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever protect her from the world as much as possible. And just thinking about that, I want you to listen to this. It's a shocking story from John MacArthur about two ministers who were interviewed by a popular talk show host. Just listen. He writes, On a popular talk show some years ago, the host interviewed two ministers When asked what they thought of Playboy magazine, one of them replied, I think it is despicable. I wouldn't read it or have it in my home. It dishonors God. It dishonors men and women. And it dishonors almost everything else that is good. The other minister said, I am an evangelical Christian. I think that's interesting how he starts out his conversation with that. And I want you to know that my wife and I both read Playboy. In fact, she gave me a subscription to it for Christmas. After 18 years of marriage, we thought we needed a little something to stimulate our relationship. That man not only was defiling himself, but encouraged his wife in the defilement. There's adultery going on in the heart. Whatever sensual desire motivated that couple to read such a magazine, it was not godly love for each other. Amen and amen to that. That's worldly thinking. And we men need to be careful about protecting our wives from the world as much as possible, as well as ourselves. And so instead, men, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And that is in a purifying way. Because that's God's will for his church. Since that's God's will for his church, then you husbands can cooperate with him in that process for his glory. And so may again... The Lord help you to take this seriously and to be faithful. You know, today we considered two of four ways to love your wife. Now, it's enough, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's enough for right now. There's a lot here, okay, to think about, to pray about, to put into practice even this week, all right? We talked about loving your wife in a sacrificial way and in a purifying way. And next week, we will finish it up. But for now, I trust that the Spirit of God will apply the truths that you heard this morning to your own hearts. And in fact, to reinforce what I have said, I'm going to ask you to do three things. I did this last week with the wives, and so I want to do that this week with the husbands, all right? 
just to reinforce what you've heard. You've heard the message. When you go out of here, it's easy to forget. All right? So I'm going to give you some other resources, some other help, so that it reinforces what you have heard. Number one, so important, meditate upon the cross. Meditate upon the cross. Your responsibility to love your wife is embedded in the atonement on your behalf. Yeah. Everything begins with the gospel, the cross of Christ. In fact, when Paul gives instruction, he embeds it in the cross, in the gospel. In fact, look across the page. Look what it says in Ephesians 4, starting with verse 31, for example. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Sometimes that's in our homes, is it not? Amongst husbands and wives. But what does he say? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's the driving force. He doesn't stop. Goes on into chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. How? Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Now you understand why you need to meditate on the cross. Yeah. Get that fixed into your heart because everything that you are going to do with regards to your spouse is going to flow out of that. Number two. Ask your wife how you are doing in your leadership, and especially in the two ways that we consider today. Just ask her. We're blind, yes, when we consider ourselves. So don't be afraid to ask. Pray about it, but ask her. And then just listen to what she has to say. And accept it humbly for the glory of God. If necessary, seek forgiveness from the Lord and from your spouse. Yeah, that would be a good way to... Clear some of the air in that way. And then let her know that you love her and that by God's grace and power, you will be faithful to grow. Not because of who she is, but because of who Christ is, right? Yeah. And number three, here's some resources. Some of you have the book, The Exemplary Husband, okay? Read chapter 8. Read chapter 8 of The Exemplary Husband. It just says the husband's responsibility to love. That's what it says. Okay? And so um, you can read that. Or if you don't have that book and you have another book by Lou Priolo, The Complete Husband. Okay? Right now, Pastor Keith is doing a Bible study for some of the men in our church on Thursday nights. And so they had a book. I know he has a few of those books in his office. So if you need one right away, just talk to him. He'll, he'll get you one. But read chapters 5 and 9. Now, he talks about what we talked about this morning in 5, 6, and 9. But um, I want you to focus just on chapter 5 and on chapter 9 because they're uh, specific to what we talked about this morning. And so, men, remember, you too, as believing husbands, have what is necessary to be all that God desires you to be. Do you believe that? Really? Do you believe that? Yes. I had to do this in the first service too. It's like I had to wake you up for a moment. Yes, you should believe that. 
because it's true. We have everything necessary for life and godliness. And so may you, as 1 Peter 3, 7, your memory verse for today says, dwell with your wife in an understanding way. Yes, and be that spirit-filled husband. All right? For the glory of God, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and what a blessing it is to just open up, see what your text says. And these principles are flowing right out of your word. And so I pray, God, that you will help us. You've given us this instruction, and so we have the capacity to be all that we should be. If there's some soul here that does not know the Lord, God, by your Spirit, help that person to know that they're not saved, but that today can be the day of their salvation. Help them to trust in you as Savior, O Lord, and have a new heart, having the Spirit of God, a heart that's filled with agape love, not only for you and others, but for his own wife. And so we pray to this end for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.